Luke chapter 2 is where we are. We'll be reading several verses there. But before we do, I want to ask you about what Christmas costs. Now, I'm thankful to tell you that it's not the size of the gift that matters. In fact, it's really not even the gift that matters. Young people, listen to me. Spouse, listen to me. I say spouse, I only have one. It's not the size of the gift, it's the heart behind the gift. Amen? How many would say that's your theme this year? The, the heart behind the gift. Because Christmas costs a lot of money. They said, they, they, I did some research, the National Retail Foundation, this is what they said. They said that spending is, is up from 2022, 3 to 4%. And they said that, that Americans are going to spend between 9 57, 957 billion and 966 billion. You know, we're closing in on a trillion dollars. Before you know it, we're going to be spending. Now, I don't spend as quite as much as that, but I'm a part of it. And again, it's the thought that counts. Remember, it costs a lot of money. They said uh, this, this, these figures are a little old, but uh, somewhere around 450 to 500 dollars. Her kid is spent in America. Now, we have five kids, and so we just cut that down to roughly 25 bucks a piece and uh, give it to them, and uh, they're always thankful. Their eyes light up. But uh, it's getting to the point now where they're giving us gifts, and we're kind of like, well, amen. It's about time you get a return on that investment. Makes it a Merry Christmas, right? Uh, it costs a lot of money. I mean, you've got to put up, if you have, anybody have an HOA that's kind of riding, riding in the saddle, making sure you're putting up uh, lights, making sure you're decorating, that you've got the, the right size of, uh, you know, collectibles in the front yard. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful we're in a rental house this Christmas, and our kids are pushing, and we're, we're saying, hey, look, we're out of the rental house. We can't be that festive. We can't put up stuff. It's going to, who knows? It, we're not going to be here long. So we'll be able to get out of it that way this year. And uh, I don't know about next year. But, but I know I, there's some places here in Toledo. I don't know what their electricity bill is, but I know it's high. Man, we went down to where some of the rich people live, if you know what I mean. And uh, they had, a, I think they probably had a power state, like a substation just for that house to keep that going. And, uh, but it sure is beautiful. I go by in the, in the daytime, I said, not so big now, are you? <laughs> make, myself, make myself feel better. But uh, it, it costs so much money. And then you got to have all these parties, you know, and you got to pretend that you like people. And uh, you got to, you know, have all these things, stocking stuffers. And, and, you know, then you have uh, these lists. You know, remember year, years ago, you didn't know what you were getting. And you just kind of were just thanking God. Maybe you'd cut it out, something from the Sears catalog and put it on the fridge, you know, and hopefully it was, you know, it's like the kid, he was trying to signal that he wanted a watch for Christmas. And he kept trying to slip that in there, you know. Boy, well, I wish I knew what time it was, you know, stuff like that. And finally, come, come Thanksgiving time, he was worried that people weren't getting the hit, uh, the hints. And so he, 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 he opened up a verse of scripture and he said, what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. 
and they finally got the hint and they were able to. But now, now we've got the apps and all you have to do is just go online, go to Amazon, go to some place, take, take that link, put it in there. And you've got all these wonderful things that people are getting for you. And uh, it's a blessing. I try to put things in there like, you know, I need uh, a new car. Um, I need a new house. I mean, I think you know that. Uh, there's a few things that I try to put in there. It's amazing. People just, they love you so much. And the only problem is they expect you to also click on all of their gifts and buy all of their stuff. And I think, I think we need to go back to the simple Christmas, simple Christmas where we don't give gifts and uh, we don't buy things. We just sit around and, and sing and uh, remember the old days. Amen. You say, what, what is that? It's a little bit of sarcasm here to kind of cut back on the over the overemphasis here and there. But the truth is, Christmas does cost a lot. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard because you want to give gifts for the kids and, and uh, you've got to make sure they have a wonderful time. And so sometimes people find themselves kind of regretting when it comes time uh, to pay the bills for Christmas. But it, it, it always has cost a lot at Christmas. And in, in our passage this morning, it's no exception. There has been a cost associated with Christmas. I want to ask a simple question this morning. What did the first Christmas cost? As we look in Luke chapter 2, you're going to find that everyone in the Christmas story paid some kind of price, paid a cost. Let's look at Luke chapter 2. Look at verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. I'm thankful that, at least here in America, uh, our nation, our government understands don't have tax time around Christmas. But Caesar Augustus, he didn't care. He was a Scrooge. He said, I'm going to get mine. I don't care what time of the year it is. And, of course, we understand. No one was celebrating Christmas at this point. Although we know that the Old Testament prophets foretold that Jesus would come. We understand that by this time... Uh, the, the wise men were already on their journey, having understood from the prophecies in the prophets, specifically Daniel, that Jesus would come. Notice, one of the first characters in our story is Joseph. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. That's a great adjective for Joseph, taxed. Because he was taxed financially, we understand that. He was one of everyone else in that region. They all had to go up to their home city for the census and for the taxation. And uh, there's, they say there's only two certain things in life. What are they? Death and taxes. We know that uh, he's going to have to go up there and he's going to have to take care of it. And not only that, you, gentlemen, you understand this. Adults, if, if, if you've been around for a long time in this earth, you understand. Sometimes these, these burdens pile up, but they pile on top of one another. You've got multiple, you know, I'm equal opportunity burdens. Whatever burdens come, my, yeah, they, they just find a nice resting place on my shoulders. And, and Joseph is going up, not just burdened down with this I mean, he's got to pay. He's, he puts time and effort into his work. He's a craftsman. He works hard. He has calluses on his hands. And he's going to take the money that he's earned, and he's going to give it back to the government. Why? He has no choice. He has to. 
But he carries with him another burden as well. Matthew chapter 1 is another place. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1. The burdens that he carries are not just financial. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. His mother, Mary, is a spouse to a man named Joseph, but they had never been together. And yet she is expecting. This is not a normal thing. And though we understand from Isaiah 7.14, a virgin shall conceive. We understand that that was written down there. But it's my virgin that's going to conceive? Can you imagine... I don't think that Joseph was dreaming about the day where he found out that his fiancée was pregnant. I mean, that's just a shock right there. Why? The scripture tells us plainly before they came together. Joseph says, I know the father's not me. Okay, so you're telling me that, that God told... Let me get this straight. God sent an angel to appear to you and tell you that it's okay because you're going to have the Messiah. I mean, you can imagine how Joseph is thinking through these things. Listen, he's used to being logical. He, he understands the concepts of buying the materials that he needs. He, he, he factors in the X amount of waste that will come. He, he factors what it's going to uh, cost him and what his time is worth and how he's going to be able to charge someone to be able to provide a, a living for himself. And now he is adding this, this wife into the mix. He's used to figuring things out. You can't be in business very long if you don't understand how to figure. And Joseph is a logical man. And now suddenly he finds himself with a very illogical wrinkle in his plans. You're telling me that you are having God? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. I mean, Mary... I love you, but can we stop and think about this for a minute? You're telling me that you're going to have the Son of God. Now, we understand it. It's, 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 it we, we get it. We, we, we know the story. And I think because of that, we sometimes forget what it actually was like. For Joseph, he is being fed this information out of nowhere that his wife is expecting. He's not the father. And, and moreover... The, the father is God. Why Mary? Now, look what he says. He comes to the place where he says, okay, jo- then Joseph, her husband, verse 19, being a just man, he's fair, equitable, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Now, why was he even considering that? Because it's obvious Having a child out of wedlock is sin. Now, people don't seem to understand that or believe that any longer, but according to the Word of God, it's called fornication, and it's a sin. Now, listen, uh, just because there is grace and mercy, you have to understand where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So, if grace is there, it must be necessary because of sin. 
And, and we like to rush past it. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Because we know, we know the end of the story. But we've got to be where Joseph is in the moment. And where Joseph is, my wife has committed fornication. You know, because in my mind, I didn't, I didn't start, I wasn't attracted to her because she was a loose woman. You know, it's interesting. Guys will play the field, but when it's time to come down and get married, they want a girl that doesn't play the field. You ever notice that? Guys want someone who is holy, someone who is, is walking with God. And by the way, you should want that. Gentlemen, if you're looking for a spouse, you should say, God, help me to be the kind of man that a godly woman would be attracted to. And I think that's what Joseph believed in his heart that he had, a godly woman. We see in, in Mary's song of praise that she was well-versed in who the Lord was. She had a relationship with God. This is a good woman. But out of the blue, he is being told that his wife has committed fornication. He said, well, we got to get divorced. I cannot marry a fornicator. You say, divorced? They weren't even married. Well, in the Jewish law, they already were married. The Bible says her husband before they came together. Nowadays, I mean, you can mix and match. You can get married, divorced, married, divorced, whatever. But in, in the law of Judah, Judaism at that time, it was very strict. And so Joseph is thinking, well, the very least I can do. He loved her, but his heart is being torn in pieces. The best I can do, I guess I'll just keep it quiet. And I won't tell anybody, and I'll just divorce her. I don't know, I guess I'll have to tell my parents. But I'll try to keep anybody else from knowing about it. This is his way of saving a woman whom he loves from great public shame. And this was, was, this was his plan. And it says in verse number 20, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, thou, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. <laughs> Man, don't you know that was the best dream Joseph ever had? In his life, he woke up and can you imagine, you can't tell anybody about your dream. You ever have a great dream and try to explain it to somebody else? My wife is very gracious and kind. She listens to my dream and she actually tries to understand them and she'll laugh or she'll mourn with me most of the time in my dreams. Oh, it's so terrible, terrible. But when other people tell me my dream, I'm like, I don't care. I don't want to hear your dream. It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sorry that, you know, you thought you had a baby and it was a hot dog. What? Look at that. Uh, That's weird. My dad had that dream years ago. (laughs) Very interesting. You know, your dreams don't make any difference to me. But, you know, when you wake up, you want to share this because it seems so real. And Joseph had not just a, you know, a dream. He, He had a vision. He had an appearance. He had an actual visit from an angel and said, Joseph, it's okay. How long has it been since you woke up and felt refreshed and thankful and glad. Joseph woke up that night. Because he'd been burdened. He'd been wondering and questioning. And he woke up that morning. And he felt great. <laughs> because he said, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Wow. Now, Joseph in his heart has peace. Because God has told him directly. Everything's okay. But you know, the inward peace did not negate the external circumstances. 
because they had not yet come together. Everyone knew they were not married yet. What was Mary doing? Well, I imagine she's buying XXXXL clothing. I imagine she's staying hidden as much as possible, probably politely excusing herself from social functions. Why? She doesn't want anyone to know that she is expecting, and yet Joseph knows this, and Joseph has to bear this. You see, the cost of the first Christmas for Joseph was humility. Humility born from shame. Humility derived from burdens. He carried these. And the Bible tells us that he goes up to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. He goes out and has been mentioned many times. You can trace that, of course, Joseph is of the house and lineage of David. And coming into town, it's like welcoming the hero, the family of the hero, much like we would talk about in American culture. You know, her great, 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 great grandmother came over with the pilgrims on the Mayflower. It's a high honor. It's something that we revere, that we hold in high esteem. And Joseph's family was held in high esteem. And yet here in Bethlehem, there was no room for them. What did Joseph do? Scripture doesn't tell us. But I can promise you this one thing. Joseph paid a price the first Christmas. And what price did he pay? He paid the price of shame. He paid the price of being looked at differently than he used to. People probably said, well, what is, what's it coming to? I mean, when Rome's in charge, it's, it's like people, you know, there's, the old days are not the same. And you can imagine the old women and the old men standing around talking on the side of their hands saying, I, shaking their heads when he came by. I don't understand it. He was raised better than that. And Joseph had to bear that. The Bible continues in the story. Verse number five, we see to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. What does great with child mean? It, it, she's about to deliver this child. We talk about a, a, a woman delivering a child. In one sense, the child is in bondage and is delivered, but I think mom is even more delivered. She's carrying around this human inside, which is a miracle. And the Bible says that she had to go from Nazareth and she went all the way to Bethlehem. Now, I don't think they had any Uber at that point. There's no lift. There, there was no chopper. There were no paved highways. Scripture does not tell us about the, the, the Dominic the donkey. I'm sorry, it, it doesn't mention the name or even the donkey. But we can surmise that Joseph would have tried to do something to help his wife being great with child. More than some of you, you know. Hey, come on, Mary, let's go. I told you you should have been working out. It takes a lot to deliver a child. You've got to be in shape, sweetheart. I, that, that guy's doing it wrong. Whoever that is. Right? So, so Joseph is, is trying to take care of her. No doubt he wants to help her and probably hired some animal or some ox cart or something. And you imagine as she is going down the road. You ever go to the back roads of America? You ever go to the pothole central of, of America? Uh, can you imagine what the roads were like? Now, the Romans, of course, built lots of roads and, and very nice roads, some of which survive to this day. But I doubt they had any real need to create a nice 
four-lane highway from Nazareth to Bethlehem. She's going down a road that is bumpy. And she's about to deliver a child. Can you imagine what's going through her head? And thus through Joseph's? Every time they come to a, whoa! How you doing, Mary? How we doing? How we doing? Everything okay? All right. Just a little bit longer. Every time. We got to stop and we got to water the animals. We got we to stop for a breather. And Joseph's saying, Lord, help her to get there. Help her to get there. Help her to get there. But Mary is undergoing all of this. You know, Mary did not ask to be the special chosen virgin to carry this child. She expected that she would carry Joseph's child at some point. But as, but, but, but as a virgin, all of a sudden, her body is beginning to change. Now, some people don't realize this today, don't, not to be too sarcastic, but men don't give birth. Women give birth. And uh, it's not birthing person, it's mother. Mother and father. It's very simple. People talk about embracing science. There's some science for you. Very simple. Biology. Men don't give birth, women give birth. And I believe women are to be held in high esteem for the sacrifice that they make. Oh, as someone said, almost all of us have had mothers. Almost every one of us. Why? It, 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 is, a, it is a great burden. It's a pressure. It's a change. Because not only are you physically changing, but there's a human being that is being formed inside of you. And, and he or she is, and those are the two options, by the way, he or she. Uh, and you can't, you know, it, yeah, just keep, right? We have to say that. It's crazy. But it's true. He or she is being developed inside and growing into a human being who is one day going to talk and to walk. One day is going to dump your pots and pans all over the kitchen floor and smear peanut butter on the couch (laughs) and dump gasoline on the younger brother's head. These are some flashbacks from our children's upbringing. That's, that's happening inside. You can imagine all of the things. Hey, listen, we thank God that the, that the fairer sex are more sensitive to feelings many times and, and are able to process uh, multi-layers of emotions in much better uh, ability than a man can. But, but what a challenging time frame it must have been for Mary. Look what it says here in verse number 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished. You want to talk about a to-do list. Mary had one thing on her to-do list. Have a baby. The days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And at that point, we stop and say, Okay, okay. You hear people say sometimes, say, I'm sorry, but. What, what that means is they've, they've been pushed and prodded and they've, they, they've put up with it. They've had it up to here and now I'm done. Can you imagine what Mary must have felt? Okay, I had a child out of, I'm having a child out of wedlock. Okay? And, and now I have to go up for this taxing thing, which... Why can't you just go fast and come back and pay the tax? 
Well, Mary had to go up and be counted. But Mary is about to have a baby, and Joseph doesn't want to leave her there. So she has to endure this trip. Finally, they get there, and she is ready to pop. And what happens? There's no place to have the baby. You know what Mary does? Mary bears the cost of the first Christmas. And I believe that cost was discomfort. Discomfort. It was a willingness to endure that which she should not have to endure. To go through things that other women did not have to go through. To bear the shame that other young ladies from her town that she grew up with were not going through. You see, it's bad enough to have the pain of childbearing and all the hormonal changes that happen as a result of bringing a a life into the world. But on top of that, the external pressures and then the rejection of all the people around that say, well, okay, I guess you should have thought of that before you got pregnant. Thanks a lot, Bethlehem. There's no room for you here. No room. I want you to hear, I want you to think of Mary hearing that. There is no room for you to have this child. I'm sorry. Listen, right is right, wrong is wrong. Now you deal with it. I don't care where you have your baby. You can have your baby in the alley for all I care. Now listen, there is a part of that. Before we rush to the mercy and the aid of Mary, there is a part of that sentiment that is not wrong. Why? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Listen, sin does bring judgment. It's one of the reasons why we struggle in America because we're so quick to run to the aid of everyone who's sinned and say, oh, God loves you, God forgives you. But may I ask, may I remind you that, that forgiveness cost God a great deal. It's not free. Well, God loves everyone. God's love for everyone was shown on a cross where his own son was put to death. But our hearts can't help But see, because we know the story, we know the inside track. We know that Mary should not have to endure this. And so we say, Mary, hey, hey, listen, innkeeper, come on. You telling me that Mr. So-and-so, that fat businessman that always is in here all the time, you can't kick him out and let an expectant mother who is about to deliver her child out here in the cold. If I were Joseph, I'd be getting up on my high horse. I'd be doing something. You see, the pressures of society were such that Joseph couldn't just act out in anger and fix it all. There was something happening here that was beyond his control. And thus he had to show some humility. You know, you don't have to show humility until there's some pain involved. Until there's some shame involved. And now Mary has this great discomfort of her life. Why? What does a, a mom start doing? As soon as, uh, as soon as a woman is married, they talk about the nesting instinct. If you want to know what the nesting instinct is, go to the home of a bachelor and you'll understand what a nesting instinct can do. Because you actually can, you actually can use more than one frying pan in a home. And a wife comes in and she fixes things up and she makes it pretty. She makes it worth, I'll tell you, when my wife is gone, I don't always like to hang around the house. It just doesn't mean the same without her. She brings something. Mary 
is, is preparing to, to be married, and, and yet she has no place that she can fix up. She's being pushed away, and now her own child, she can't even fix up a nursery for her own child. What is it? It's a cost associated with Christmas. You see, we don't think about many times the costs. We think about the gifts, and we think about receiving. But think about what these folks gave. What did the first Christmas cost Mary? It cost her great discomfort. Let's continue. Luke chapter 2, verse number 8. They were in the same country, shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And we'll get to them in a moment. But, but look at verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The angel of the Lord. But notice, he came upon them. Now, we, we, we often see him in, in cartoons or in drawings. We see this hovering angel with a star shining behind him. And yet the scripture does not tell us that he was hovering in the air. In fact, when you see angels in the scripture, they look like men. So you can see the shepherds and all of a sudden someone walks out of the darkness. I'm giving you an alternate idea because the scripture doesn't give us exactly. He's walking out of the darkness. And what does it say? It says the glory of the Lord shone round about them. The, dark, the shepherds are in darkness. They're working, their eyes adjust. You know, they tell you when you're outside, uh, soldiers are told this, cowboys know this. Never look at the fire because you have to be able to see things in the dark. And so here, they're, they're gathering around. Their eyes have adjusted. They can see, but all of a sudden, it's as if someone with five million lumens approaches. The glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. You notice that fear keeps cropping up. And here the angel of the Lord comes, and what does he say? He said unto them, verse number 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Here's the good tidings. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That's the light of the world. That's Jesus and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You see, this had already happened. And the angel comes to them and tells them this. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Well, we have the angels here. Well, the angels, we kind of think of them as robots. We kind of think of them as AI. Not really real. Amazing, but just creations without a soul, without a will. And yet, Scripture doesn't indicate that. They definitely have a will. They can choose. And here, the angels are sent down. They're sent down to shepherds. I always find it interesting that the shepherds received this multitude of the heavenly host out in the fields. The angels all came together. And the angels are delivering a message. And they're delivering a message about a Savior. The Bible says that the angels desire to look into the gospel. 
The desire to understand how God, the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords, could come down here and give his human life and die on a cross for the, to, to, sh- to shed his blood for the sins of mankind. They, they're, they're interested. They don't understand it. They're trying to figure it out. Why? Because angels, apparently from Scripture, cannot be saved. They cannot be redeemed with the blood of the Lamb. They are here to give the greatest news. God has been talking about this in heaven. The plan has been there since the dawn of mankind. They've been waiting, waiting, waiting. And and, and the disruption of the Trinity, the Godhead, will be fractured. One part will be down on earth and the other in heaven. And the angels are saying, why? What is this? How is this? And they come down and they say, There's a Savior that's born. And they say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill. By the way, there won't be peace and goodwill toward men until there is glory to God in the highest. And I'm thankful to tell you that that day is coming. But I want you to see the cost for the angels. The cost for the angels was a form of selflessness. Because as they descend from the glory of God's throne and make their way all the way down to a darkened world. And a night where some blue-collar workers are keeping a night shift. They have to come and they say, I've got a message for you. And it's not just for you, but it's for all people. But notice that phrase. For all people. It's not for us. We're here to tell you the message that God wants you to know. The angels had a cost. The first Christmas cost the angels some selflessness. To be able to say, I am here for God's glory. I'm not here for myself. It's one thing when I get an opportunity to preach on the wonderful mercy and grace of God. I can preach that knowing that I have experienced it. I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I've been saved by grace. But imagine, imagine being able to give the greatest gift and say, I hear that the mercy and grace of God is wonderful. I know He's glorious, and I know He is a wonderful Savior. It's not a message that I can buy into. I'm not allowed to have any part of it, but I want you to know it. That's what the angels had to pay. They came down as servants willing to give, willing to sacrifice their glory for the glory of Christ. And then look, if you would, at the shepherds. The shepherds. It says in verse 8, they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. They were the only ones awake. Something about shepherds attracts the heart of God. God loves shepherds. Abel was the first one. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and and even the shepherd from Bethlehem, David. All of these men were shepherds. The Bible says here in verse number 15, And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. You know what the shepherds had to sacrifice? It cost the shepherds flexibility. 
flexibility because the shepherds had a charge, these sheep. They're watching over these sheep and they're responsible for them. They are indeed their livelihood. We can't imagine that because we don't have animals around on a regular basis. Our, our, our dogs don't give us any money, but we give them a lot of money. Our cats, our parrots, they don't provide any kind of a livelihood for us. They're there merely for entertainment. We're as Roman lords and ladies with little animals on our laps. But here, these guys depended on these animals. This was their livelihood. This was their paycheck. And they're walking away from these. I don't know where these were. Perhaps they put them in some kind of a, 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 a shepherd's stall or a corral for the sheep. The Bible doesn't, doesn't say that. What it does say is the shepherd said, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see. I don't know that they brought their sheep with them. I don't think they could have because the scripture says they came with haste. Sheep only do what they want. You can't make them do what they don't want to do. They're stubborn. And yet these men said, I'm leaving all of that which is important to me. And I am going to find out about this babe. Flexibility. Flexibility. Let's look, if you would, at verse 25. Skip down to verse 25. Now Joseph and Mary have returned to Jerusalem. The Bible says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. This man, Simeon, what was he paying? What did it cost him? It cost Simeon time. Time. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Who is that? What is that? It's the Messiah. The Bible says it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. It's another sub-theme we find in this passage. The shepherd said, let us now go and see this thing which has come to pass. And here we find Simeon, who is a man who has been waiting for the Messiah. And he says, now mine eyes have seen. That is something that I think you and I could resonate with. Because time seems to be the greatest commodity. I don't have time. I'm really busy. I'll try to get to that. Whoa, man, be careful. Value the days. Kids grow up so fast. Where has the time gone? I can't believe it's been a year. We mark time all of the time. It's interesting that here, this man, his sacrifice was not in what he gave. His sacrifice is waiting. Waiting. Waiting for consolation. What is that? Comfort. Waiting for God to fulfill his promise. Will God or won't God be true to his word? You say, well, I don't think he had any kind of doubt. I don't know that he did, but I know if there's anything that can cause you to doubt, it's time. Unfulfilled promises. When will God keep his word? And that is what Simeon had to sacrifice Notice in verse number 36, there was one Anna, a prophetess, 
the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Aser. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. She was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. Notice here, Anna, married seven years, then alone for 80 plus years. She's alone. She's been around for a long, 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 long time. She's about 84 years here, been married for seven years. So we can deduct from that somewhere between... 50, 60 years, she's been waiting, perhaps more. And not just waiting in the sense of Simeon, who was looking forward to the consolation that God had promised. No doubt one of the biggest struggles of Anna's life was looking back. Looking back at what might have been. Because she got married, like all the other girls around her town got married, And she looked forward to a wonderful life together. She couldn't wait to grow old together with her husband. And then God took him. And what was she doing? Well, she was like Simeon. Scripture does not tell us that God had given her any specific promise. She is just there by herself. What did it cost Anna? I think it cost her loneliness. She was by herself year after year after year after year. There was no more irritating, when are you going to take out the garbage? There was no more laughing over funny things that people said. She never heard the garage door open knowing that her husband was back. It was just silence. It cost her some loneliness. I want you to think even more about, get, get a little higher. Get it get a, in your drone's eye view. Lift up above the story. I want you to think about what it cost God the Father. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. What did it cost God the Father? The first Christmas, that is. It cost him his only begotten son. You know, Christmas is a time for children, not for God. At Christmas time, God the Father gave his child away. Now, some of us might say, I'd like to give my child away, but we're laughing, we're joking. We don't don't really mean it. It doesn't mean the same when the kids are not there or the grandkids are not there. God the Father gave His Son away. And not just to a nice family. The Bible tells us that for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God the Father gave the most grand Christmas gift that's ever been given away to people who hated his guts, who hated him. And the greatest sacrifice of all was given by the Christ himself. What did Jesus sacrifice? 
What did it cost Jesus Christ, the first Christmas? Well, it cost him sin. The Bible says, he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus Christ, it was worse than just, hey, taste this. I don't like it. Taste it. I don't like it. Have you ever tried it? Taste it. I haven't tried it. I don't want it. It looks gross, disgusting. You see, we have that kind of little game that we play with our kids or other people. Sometimes people say, this really tastes disgusting. Here, taste this. I don't understand that at all. But, you know, Jesus Christ had never tasted sin. He had never looked with lust. He had never lied. He had never deceived anyone. I, don't understand. I can't imagine being a human without having an inner thought life that sometimes doesn't do what's right. And I know how to get away with it. Jesus Christ never had that. He knew no sin. And yet, what do we find? We find that God the Father said, here, taste this sin. Taste it. Now, I I want you to drink it all. And Jesus did. Jesus drank sin to the dregs thereof. He swallowed it all, having never sinned before. Every nasty, filthy, dirty, violent, brutal thing that's ever been done. Jesus Christ took it in. What did it cost Jesus? It cost him sin. And it cost him death. Christ is the author of life. He's the one who invented living. And yet the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2... That he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. The worst death. Not getting hit by a Mack truck and not even understanding what happened. As horrible as that is, at least you don't know that it's coming. But Jesus Christ knew what was coming. He saw it. In fact, he carried the method of his own execution on his shoulder. And he walked up to Calvary. And he laid, he, laid, he laid down and allowed his hands and his feet to be driven with nails. All understanding that this was not the end. This was the beginning of hours of misery. And he was going to sit there and try to breathe. He knew all that was coming. What did it cost Jesus? It cost him death. The Bible tells us it cost him even more than that. Acts chapter 2 says, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. It cost Jesus Christ hell itself. But I want you to understand. All of that he paid was for what? For joy. The Bible tells us he, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Why do we spend so much money? Why do we go to so much difficulty and and sacrifice? At the time of Christmas. Well, I want to suggest to you that it's just a small picture of what Jesus Christ did. The effort that goes into the planning and the money that gets spent, even sometimes the money that we don't have. Why? Well, I would suggest it's because of that Christmas morning. Where someone opens a package and says, "Ah, that moment. That's why Jesus died. No, not for Christmas presents. But for you to know the joy of salvation. For you to someday be able to to wake up and say, 
That's what it means to know I'm going to heaven. That's what it means that Jesus Christ's life can live through mine. Yes, I've got the same struggles and problems that everyone else has. I've got health difficulties. My kids aren't doing right. I don't have the money that I need. My car's broken down. I wish I could get a better job. I got all the depression uh, that's coming through my mind and the dark thoughts. But wow, what a gift. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to give you life everlasting. Not just when you get to heaven. You can open that gift now. The Bible says, whom having not seen, ye love. And whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy. Unspeakable and full of glory. That unspeakable gift is in you. You can open that gift today and you can know the joy of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in hell. In fact, in the same passage, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. You and I have a cost. Many of these people in the story had a cost. Joseph, the cost of humility. Mary, the cost of discomfort. I wonder, who do you resonate with in this story? What is the cost that God has required of you? Not to be saved, but because you are saved. What is it that you have to sacrifice? For the angels, it was sacrificing their own glory, their own reputation to bring glory to God. How about the shepherds? Is this a time where God is requiring of you some flexibility? Let me ask you this. If Jesus were to say, go there, would you be willing to go there? The shepherds were. It may be a great cost that... In your mind, you think, I couldn't possibly do that. I, God wouldn't ask me to do that. And yet over and over in this story, someone is being asked to sacrifice. How, 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 how about Simeon? Is it time that God's ask, asking you to sacrifice? You say, if I could just get past this time and frame in my life, this phase, I can't wait until I'm at the next phase. And you're waiting. Perhaps you're like Simeon. Perhaps you're like Anna. Who is by herself at Christmas time? Can I remind you that in each of these cases, this is something the Lord knew about and the Lord allowed. And yet, it was an interaction, they did not realize what was coming, an interaction with the child Jesus for each of these people. For Joseph, he did not know what it was going to be like to be the stepfather of the Messiah. But he would meet him. And though history tells us nothing of his later life, what might it have been to be in the same home and watching that pure and holy child? For Mary, the Bible said a sword would pierce through her own heart also. What was it like for Mary sacrificing all of that discomfort? I have to believe that as she watched her son and the rise and fall of his publicity and his crucifixion and burial and then his resurrection... Her heart was blessed. 
And yes, there was sorrow and difficulty, but over and over she watched as God worked in her life and showed himself to her. Christian, this morning, are you listening? Are you thinking about what God is asking you to sacrifice at this time? You see, there's a cost associated with Christmas. Anytime you get close to Jesus Christ, he is going to require something of you. My suggestion is this. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord hath done, which the Lord hath made known unto us. I say with the shepherds, let's leave our normal schedule and let's run to Bethlehem and let's fall down and worship him. I say with the angels, let's return the glory to him and say, God, it's not about people knowing me and my position. It's about them knowing who you are. I say with Joseph, let's bear the burdens. Some of you men who feel weighed down, let's bear those burdens. Bring them to Christ and thank God that you're a part of this story. Ladies, though you may may be going through a time of discomfort in your life, let me encourage you to remember that it was God who has allowed you here and God can use you in this great time of discomfort. Turn to him, open your heart to him and recognize he's working behind the scenes. Perhaps you would be like Simeon, someone who has said it's about time and I'm getting sick of it. Lord, when? How long, O Lord? Wait, because there's coming a time when you will pick up that child Jesus in your arms and say, now, now I'm ready. You fulfilled your word to those who are lonely today. Don't forget Jesus. Jesus is on the way. He's coming. He will not leave you alone. He said, I will comfort you. For all of us, as we think about the consecration that was involved, the sacrifice, the great cost involved in Christmas, I ask you to trust. Trust that God is working. He's working his plan. He is working his will. Wherever your situation is, trust him through it all. Let's bow our heads in prayer.